begot Matan, and Matan begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. And so all, all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. And from David until captivity in Babylon are 14 generations. And from the captivity of Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. So here at the beginning of this book, this long list of names and the author so uh, beautifully sums up this genealogy, this lineage right here at the end of 17, where he says, and all these generations, Abraham to David, David to captivity, captivity to Christ. And he's, what he's doing here is he's taking us back to how he started. Because the very first words in which he starts this book is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, this is important because he's establishing um, a kind of baseline for the rest of the scriptures because he is speaking to a Jewish people. This book is written primarily to a Jewish audience, and they are looking for the Savior. They're looking for the coming one. And he said, and there's all of these prophecies, all of these words about there's going to be this one who would come. But there was these words that this is how he would come. He would come through the line of David. He would come through Abraham. And so he's establishing right off the bat that, listen, here is the lineage that links Christ all the way back to Abraham. Everything that you've been looking for, this is him. They are all connected. And so if you were there... You're, you're beginning to connect the dots. And you're saying, okay, well, I see how Abraham and this son and this son and this son, and they begot this son. And then now I see David, and he leads that all the way to Christ. And so all of these things are beginning to click in your mind. And so whenever there's these words like, well, Abraham, and then 14 generations, and then there's David, and then 14 generations, and then there's captivity, and then 14 generations in Christ. See, we look at that, and we think, oh, wow, there's such a kind of symmetry to that. There's There's this equal there's 14 and and then all these people start to begin to think well what does the 14 number represent and then if you add 14 plus 14 plus 14 well you get 42 so that obviously means that jesus was a fan of jackie robinson that's what that means and so like you get kind of caught up in all these numbers but if you were there and you were hearing this for the first time and you were a jew you're not just hearing this this kind of pattern that's emerging what you're hearing is you're hearing abraham and david and captivity and Christ. And so it's not just Abraham. You're thinking, well, this is promise. This is the one that my dad and his dad before him and his dad before him, we've sat around the campfires over and over night after night. And we've heard all the stories about this guy named Abraham. We've heard all the stories about David and all of the things that he did. He was the most famous king of all times. Everything, all the the David and Goliath stories, all that. All of these Jewish people would be very familiar and David would be, well, a hero. And so whenever he says, well, there's the son of Abraham, the son of David, they're thinking, well, here's the son of promise, the son of hero. And then there's captivity. There's also the reality of we're given a nation's history that's not just full of all of the successes, but also our failures. There's also a big, wow, this happened to us. And so you're here and you're thinking, wow, there's promise and there's heroes and there's captivity and it all leads to Christ. And so he's taking us on this journey from 
from, da- from Abraham to David to captivity to Christ. So Abraham, we first meet him in the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis and chapter 11. Now what's interesting is the first time that we meet him is not just Abraham, but he's known as Abram. And we meet him very much the same way that the book of Matthew starts with this long list of names, a long list of genealogy in which I'm not even going to press my luck with trying to announce these names again. So don't worry about it. But there was guy, one guy here named Eber. And I just thought that guy was cool. So Eber, he's in the lineage. Anyway, it has nothing to do with anything. So there's this long list of names, all of these ones who begot these, and it's just going on and on. And this would be very, very important to the culture. And we get in verse, nine, in verse 28, and uh, Haran, or, or verse 29, I'm sorry. And then Abram and Hanor took wives, and the name of Abram's wife was Sarah. The name of Nahor's wife was Micah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Micah, and the father of Isaac. Then verse 30. But Sarah was barren. She had no children. So there's this long list, name after name after name, all of these people. And then we get to Sarah and she has no children. Do you remember maybe whenever you were a kid, there was this game and uh, different variations of it. But you would sometimes gather in a big circle and you would have to toss the ball to someone in the circle And then you'd have to keep it going to the next person in the circle and then the next person in the circle. And the goal of this game is you had to keep it going all around the circle and no one could drop the ball. You just had to keep it going. Oh, and then somebody (laughs) dropped the ball. Man. And so all of the kids are thinking, we got so close. But Steve, drop the ball. There's no excuses. We don't want to hear it, Steve. You drop the ball. All of us, we almost made it around the whole circle. We almost won the game. We're going to have to do it again. This time, let's throw it to Steve first. So that way he may catch the ball. And see, there's this, there's this feeling among the kids. And everybody's just like, oh, we were so close. And there's this, there's this kind of shame of like, man, I dropped the ball. And then there's this hesitation with everyone else. Is he going to throw it to me next? Is he going to throw the ball to me? I got to catch it. I got to catch this thing. Well, see, there's this, there's this reality to this genealogy that there's this long list of names. And this person begot this person and this person. And so it's this long list of what seems like success. And then all of a sudden we get to Sarah. Oh, but Sarah, and by the way, she dropped the ball. The lineage just kind of stopped. She didn't have any kids. And it just stops there. Imagine how she felt. Man, she dropped it. Wow, all of these things. Because after all, in those days, having kids isn't just the way that we look at it now. Having kids in those days meant, man, you are blessed by God. The more kids you have, the more blessed you are. And if you can't have kids, well, that signs of, well, you, you've done something wrong. You're barren. You, can't, you, you must be in sin. There has to be something wrong with your life. If, if anything, wow, Abraham, you married the wrong one. 
There's something wrong here. And so there's this, there's this list. It's written down for the world to see. And then it gets to Sarah. Everyone else, it just kind of tells their story. But it, it just felt the need that, but Sarah was barren. She had no children. Imagine how this woman felt. But then we turn the page. And we get to chapter 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and I will make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is a huge moment. This is a huge moment because this is giving birth to a promise that we are still walking out today. This prompt, because it says, in all the families of the earth. And so we are still part of all of the families. So the reality is that we gather this morning, and we are the outworking of a promise that was given to this man thousands and thousands of years ago. All of the families. But what's amazing is who it comes to, how it comes to him. He's given this promise. He's 75 years old when God speaks this word to him. He speaks this word to a man that's married to a barren wife. So it's not just that it's, well, it's impossible, God, I'm 75 years old. It's improbable. It's unlikely. After all, at 75 years old, you know, it, it's time to retire. It, it, it's not time to have more kids. It's not time to have this, this whole day. It's not, the, it's not time to get out of my country, leave everything that I've known, and so all this could happen. And so what God's asking him to do is this is intense. You don't have any kids. You, you don't have kids at 75. You don't start this new journey. There's just one problem. No one ever told God that. And here's the reality. If you are a believer this morning, it doesn't matter how young or how old you are. It's not over until it's over. It's not over until it's over. Has God ever spoken something to you that's so impossible, so improbable that there's a part of you that doesn't even want to believe it? And I can think of that moment where he's speaking to Abraham and he's hearing these. And, and later on, even, even his wife kind of laughs at this notion. And there's no way that whenever God spoke to him and said that through you all of the nations of the earth could be blessed, I, I think there's no way that he could have known just everything that that meant. But here, now in Matthew chapter 1, fast forward, and we see this genealogy of 42 generations later in his bloodline, the coming of Christ. This promise came to pass. And in, in Matthew here, an interesting word that keeps popping up. This word, begot. And all of these people begot something and begot this one and that one and this one. The word de defined means this, to produce an effect. And so starting with Abraham, the writer shows how one promise produced an effect. And it wasn't until 42 generations later that we saw that promise fulfilled in Christ. One promise, one moment. Everything that we do 
has an effect. There's a cause. There's an effect. Everything that we do, this motion sets this thing in motion. And the reality is sometimes God speaks to us and we have no idea all of the things that God has put into motions. You, you have no idea how many things that your grandfather and his grandfather, they had to put into motion for you to be where you are today. All of, all of the men and women that went before us put things in motion that affect us now. And the things and the life that you live now, the choices that you make now affect those that will follow. We begot something. We produce an effect. And this is important because the story isn't finished. It's not over. God loves these type of patterns, and his patterns are weaving in and outside of his grand grand design, and his story is still unfolding. That's encouraging because it's still at work today. And so the writer here begins with this genealogy. He starts at Abraham, but then uh, 14 generations down, we get to David. And it says this about David. David, the king, begot Solomon. But there's also this kind of moment where there's a pause, kind of like with Sarah and Abraham, where it says this, by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Now, if you're not familiar with the story, this is just a little synopsis of how it goes. David is king, and he is on the roof one day. He looks down. He sees Bathsheba. He says, wow, this chick looks good. So he takes her. And next thing you know, well, this is a married woman. He goes and takes and sends her husband out to be killed, Uriah, then marries this girl. This is David's sin right here in black and white in the midst of what is the most important lineage of all of history. Everyone else, we have their names, and this one, we got this one, and it produced this effect. But then there's this kind of moment where, well, David, yes, while king, wait a minute, there was this horrendous sin that he committed. And see, this is important because remember, if you're there and you're listening, first century, you, you sing part of these psalms, just like as we read these psalms and we sing these psalms, you would be very familiar with the songs of David. You would be very familiar with the stories of everything they heard. After all, this is a man that is after God's own heart. But in the middle of this, there is just this kind of pause, hold on, wait, let's not forget about Uriah. Let's not forget about this big thing that David did. Here it is, highlighted for all of all, of all times. Imagine seeing your family tree. And then there was Jack and James and, and Jim and Steve. And oh, 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 but wait a second. When, when we get to Bob, and then there was Bob. He was the one that didn't graduate college. Oh, and th- and then, then there was Sue, and she was the one that had failed marriage. And there was Jeff and, and Rob and, and, and Bill. And then, oh, oh, but wait a second. And then, and then there was this person. They were the liar and the, the cheat and the stealer. And they were the one that served time in prison. How would you like that? And see, the reality is oftentimes we like to divine ourselves by our mistakes. We like to say that, well, well this is what happened. And so we live inside of that. But what's amazing about this portion of scripture is that if we were to turn over to the book of Hebrews, we would find Abraham's name. We would find David's name. 
But you know what it's saying about these? These were great men of faith. They're in the hall of fame of faith. And God's saying, wow, to live like these, to just believe in God. See, there's one thing that all of these men and women have in common. One thing that they all have in common. And it's what Jim talked about a few weeks ago. They're all broken. They're all broken men and women of God. They have a very real look at their failures, a very real look at their successes, but they didn't let it define them. They didn't let it define them. Because all of this, the, the, the brokenness, the shame, the humiliation, it didn't lead them to thinking, oh, I feel so bad for myself. It led them to Christ. And so here's this history. And if you're writing this history, man, there's a part of us that would want to touch it up. Well, let's white out a few things. This whole thing about Uriah, let's get rid of that. This whole thing about the failed marriage, let's not talk about that. This whole thing about this time where I was hooked on drugs, let's not talk about that. Let's break out the white out. Let's do it. But no, here in the genealogy of Jesus Christ says, I want you to see it all. I want you to see the success. I want you to see the failures. And I want you to see how all of that leads to Christ. All of that is put in motion for a purpose. And so if we were to look at these Gospels, if we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of these Gospels are telling the story of Christ from a different perspective. And in each one of them, they talk about the beginnings. They give a certain view of this is how things started. And Matthew starts, well, he starts with Abraham. And, and Mark, well, he goes back to the prophets. And if you look at Luke, well, he goes all the way back to Adam. But if you look at John, he goes all the way back to a word. And in the beginning was the word. And the word was God. And the word was with God. And so there's this reality that they're establishing from the very beginning. That and through all of these scriptures, through all of these perspectives on writing the greatest story ever told. That all of these things, all of these leads back to Christ and his unveiling. It doesn't matter if you're a king or a slave. It doesn't matter if you're barren or if you're fruitful. You are in need of a savior. Salvation doesn't always come the way that we expect it. See, these people were looking for Christ to come in a certain way, and he came as a baby in a manger. And when he came, they couldn't recognize him. An unexpected king, an unexpected place, an unexpected savior. We serve a God who works all things for the good. All things for the good. Here's something on a side note about Abraham. When he was given a promise, all of these things, he was, he was walking. He was on a journey. He was actually headed. The Bible tells us he was headed to a place called Canaan. Actually, his father was headed there before him. And there's a part in Abraham's journey where he actually passes right through the promise and doesn't even know it. And I just kind of felt when I was reading that, that for each one of us, I think that God's given us certain promises. And the reality is we may have even been heading in that direction before. The reality is we may have even passed through it at times and not even recognized it. The very thing that we're searching for. God gives promises to old men and barren women. It's not over until it's over. He takes shepherd's boys 
and he makes kings. He takes captives and he makes them free. Your failures don't define you. They just point to a savior. Let me say that again. Your failures don't define you. They just point to a savior. It's not your story. It's his story. And his story is full of the culmination of all things. Of the good and the bad and the ugly and the pain and the hurt. And God doesn't have any white out. He puts it all there in black and white. All of it. And he says, I take all of these things and I work them for the good. Because it doesn't matter if you've experienced extreme success or if you've experienced extreme failure. He is a God that says all of this points to the need for him. And it's his story and it's his life unfolding. And he comes in ways that we don't expect at times when we don't expect them. He comes as a baby in a manger. He comes as a promise to a barren woman. He comes to a boy in a field. He comes to one Paul that was killing Christians and says, I will use you to write a good portion of the New Testament. Your sins do not define you. They just point to a Savior. I'm going to ask us all to close our eyes for a moment. Maybe there's someone in this room this morning who's had some really big things in their life that they've just tried to take the white out and say, well, I, I don't want to talk about that failure. I don't, I don't want to talk about, I just want, to, just want to move past that. And God's saying, listen, it's just pointing to your need for him. All of us, every single one of us from all generations, from Adam to David to captivity, to Christ, to me, to you, to my children, to my children's children, need a Savior. Your work will only get you so far. So, Lord, I'm praying right now for those shadows in our hearts that we've tried so hard to forget. Lord, bring your light Lord, for those of us that have felt extreme shame for the things that we've done, I ask that you break in with your presence and tear that shame out. That part where the world says, well, this is your, you're no good and you're not good for nothing and, and you're defined by this failure. Lord, that you would just shine in our hearts that would say, you know what? I just need Jesus. us all to stand and we're going to worship with one more song
Yeah. 